Hello and welcome to PathPod. I'm Dr. Mike Arnold of Children's Hospital Colorado, and this is our next episode of the PathPod Quiz Show. Our guests today are Dr. Saida Kasim, pathology applicant from Toronto, Canada, Dr. Shannon May, first-year pathology resident at the University of Virginia, and our pathologist guest is Dr. Daniel Babu, associate director of flow cytometry at the University of New Mexico. And as always, our hosts are Dr. Sarah Jang of Duke Health and Dr. Christina Arnold of the University of Colorado. Dr. Kasim is on Twitter at Saida underscore Kasim. Dr. May is on Twitter at SMayMD. And Dr. Babu is on Twitter at DanBabuMD. Dr. Jang is on Twitter at Sarah underscore Jang. And Dr. Arnold is on Twitter at CArnold underscore GI. Now here's your hosts, Dr. Jang and Dr. Arnold. Hello, and welcome everyone to the first PathPod quiz show of 2021. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Sarah Jang, and I'm so excited. We have three wonderful guests, as always, here to play our nerdy games. First, we have Saeda Kasim, who is a pathology applicant in Toronto, another international PathPod quiz show. And we have Shannon May, who is a first-year resident at the University of Virginia. And for our special pathologist guest, we have Dan Babu, who is Associate Program Director at the UNM Department of Pathology. And as always, I'm joined by my beautiful and talented co-host, Christina Arnold. Hey, y'all. And Mike Arnold. Hey, guys. So yeah, welcome, everyone. Happy New Year. How's everyone today? Pretty good. Happy to be invited to do this. I'm looking forward to this hour. Nice. And I'm good too. It's it's pretty cold here in Canada. So I'm happy I'm speaking to people in warmer places than you. <laughs> What's the weather? Tell us the degrees. It is around 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, I see. And it's one of the better days we're experiencing. Mm. So we've had much colder days in the past week. Do you get much snow up there? We're anticipating some snow, but uh, we have our fingers crossed. Hopefully <laughs> those things don't come true this time. Guys, I have to tell you, I am getting my second COVID shot today. Ooh, yay! Wow. Yay. Yeah. I am excited. I am Congrats. excited. I plan on having lots of antibodies tomorrow. <laughs> I was going to say, I moved mine to Thursday so I can have Friday at home by myself before the weekend when my toddler will be home. <laughs> Oh, that is such good planning. So I definitely was not worried at all about side effects because I'm one of those people who I get vaccines and I get no side effects whatsoever. And I started hearing from my colleagues about their second dose and how ill they felt. And I rescheduled mine so that I could have a day off service, which actually I think it was good planning, but I felt very mildly ill with some chills and a little bit of a fever. And I think had I just been at my desk working, I wouldn't have thought about it at all and would have just gone through my day. But since I was at home sitting around, I got to feel kind of sorry for myself and make my husband take care of me. So um, (laughs) I'm not sure if that was a good choice or a bad choice. Certainly a bad choice for him. Oh, funny. (laughs) All right. Welcome, Saida. We're so excited to have you on the show. Tell us, how did you pick pathology? So I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So my kind of journey in pathology kind of started in medical school. And um, I loved seeing how there was that correlation with patients coming in with uh, presenting complaints of different sorts. And 
getting to see what their disease actually looked like under the microscope was something that made me want to pursue it as a career later on. And in Canada, I have been working as a pathology instructor. I am helping medical students in their USMLE exams. So I think that component of working as an instructor kind of facilitated that fact that I feel pathology has so many things that I want to learn each day. And every day I open the book, I mean, I get to learn new things. And I think uh, whenever I talk about them, I share that passion with my students. And that's something I want to do for the rest of my life. Fantastic. We're so excited to have you in pathology. So tell us, what do you do as a pathology instructor? What does that involve? So I work here at, it's uh, known as Ontario IMG School. So it's an academy where students come in for their USMLE exams, for their Canadian licensing exams as well. Me being the pathology instructor, I cover the big portion of step one exam, the dreaded pathology portion. And I try to make as, it as fun as I can. Uh, and I think I kind of succeed because students do come to me and they always used to think pathology was just books or just the microscope. And I try to kind of add different dimensions to it. We have courses that run three to four sessions every Every year in which the students come in. Uh, these days, it's mostly online, but we have these uh, in line for their step one exams. And uh, we kind of help them during this journey and help them get a residency. What's your favorite topic to teach? Oh, that's a difficult question. I mean, I have quite a few topics that I really enjoy. But these days, it's some like neuropathology that I had recently kind of had some sessions on, particularly CNS tumors. I think there's so many different things in it that I can talk about and so many kind of correlations I can make. So that these days, it's CNS tumors. That is fascinating because I opened my USMLE Step 1 to design your quiz questions and it opened to CNS tumors. And you know what oh. I said? Mm-hmm. I said, that's too advanced for her. And I flip to something else. Look, <laughs> I know. That's what oh, I should have done for you. I should have listened to my good. first instincts. Oh, my questions are going to be way too easy for you now with that background, but that's cool. Oh, I All hope right. so. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So if you couldn't be a pathologist, what kind of doctor would you be? If I wouldn't be a pathologist, I think that's a tough one again. I think I, I would still be connected to students anywhere where I can kind of teach because that's something I really love doing. So, I mean, anything that I would have that interaction and, and share that joy of like talking about a topic that I have, be it, be, it, be it any field. Perfect. Tell us what's your favorite piece of advice? About anything. I think it would be whenever I put in passion towards whatever I want to do, I think it adds that extra element to it. So my advice would be that whatever you feel that you really like, just try and go that extra mile to achieve your goal. And I think it shows. I mean, it shows by the work you put in and the output you get. That's beautiful. I love it. I love it. Thank you. All right. In today's medical student quiz show segment, I will read you three board style questions. Mm -hmm. Provide the correct answer and you win a point. Win enough points and you win a prize PathPod clear ruler. Ready to play? I hope so. (laughs) Ready. Question number one. HLA subtypes. Identify the correct HLA subtype associated with celiac disease. I'm going to read you some choices. Choice A, B27. Choice B, DQ2 slash D8. Choice C, DR2. Choice D, DR5. I think I would go with choice B, DQ2 and D8, DQ8. Yes. Oh, give her a bonus point because I looked at like, wait a minute, I left off a Q there. DQ2 and DQ8. Yes, correct. You even were able to correct me. I mean, phenomenal. Do you want to say anything about this? I mean, this is how I try to remember it because I associated, initially I used to think when I had started reading about celiac disease that it is kind of similar to lactose intolerance. And I associated with that they cannot take DQ. 
And that's how I remembered it, even though it was wrong, <laughs> but it has stuck in my head. So Isn't it great? I love it. I love it. That's what I teach too, is people with celiac disease avoid Dairy Queen. DQ is just an association. Of course, you, know, you can yeah. still go to Dairy Queen Maybe and get some <laughs> Maybe yes. you just have to avoid the cones or the sprinkles, right? Yeah, exactly. True. But it's just <laughs> like a, as a mnemonic. Love it. Then some other things that we could discuss. B27 is another one that's hot on the boards. That's associated with, do you want a bonus point? B27. It rings a bell. Was it with an ankylosing spondylitis? I mean, I have palpitations over here. Yes. B27, ankylosing spondylitis, friends out there, you need to know this. This will be on your boards. DQ2, DQ8, remember this is association with celiac disease. DR2 and DR5, I really wouldn't bother memorizing them. Mm -hmm. I just threw them in because they were on the board. But DR2, multiple sclerosis, lupus, good pasture, DR5, Hashimoto's. But I I never knew that. So don't worry. I don't think I ever knew that at all. Yeah. But um, I have another corny mnemonic for <laughs> for that. that tell helps us, remember If you don't laugh at me at the end of this session, <laughs> I remember this because in HLA-B2, like in, in ankylosing spondylitis, they have that bambooing of their spine. So again, that B kind of stuck with me in the, in the so x-ray. Funny. That's one of the things that we tell students to remember. It's very important mm. for their USMLEs. So that B stuck in there with the B27. Beautiful. I love it. As many associations we can build, the easier it is to remember these things. Okay. Apparently you already have five points just on that one question. So congratulations. You are doing excellent. Question two, where do T cells differentiate and mature? A, thymus, B, the bone marrow, C, peripheral blood, D, the toes. (laughs) Sorry. I really enjoy enjoy myself when I do these questions. You okay. create great, great questions. <laughs> wait, wait. So I'm not a hematopathologist. Is the T and T cells not for toes? Is that is that not accurate? Well, don't give any tips now, Dr. Jing. <laughs> <laughs> I know that was, sorry. <clears throat> I'll mute myself. Now. I actually need to tell you, please don't mute yourself. I just wrote an article for the pathologist and it does have something to do about my great toe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness, what a teaser. What a teaser work. And to find out more, you will have to read Dr. Arnold. I would just like to challenge any other pathologist to come up with an article where they talk about their great toe and it gets published (laughs) in a pathology journal. Okay, coming back to our answer. Yes, so I I don't remember the options, but I don't know where thymus was in that list. Was it like in A, B, C, D? Yes, A. Okay. A, so I would go for A thymus. Perfect. Yes. And do you want to tell our listeners any tips about how to remember this kind of stuff, T and B cells, where they originate from? So T, again, I stick with the first letters, not the toe. <laughs> I remembered it with the T going with the thymus. <laughs> Perfect. Good. And then the B cells with the bone marrow. And we have a hematopathologist here. He is very impressed. I saw him. Okay, guys, we're moving on to number three. It's called Name This Bug. I, this is my attempt at doing sort of a pun, but I totally dropped it after I named this bug. I am a gram-negative flagellated comma-shaped bacteria endemic to developing countries. I produce profuse rice water diarrhea via an enterotoxin, and I'm transmitted via ingestion of contaminated water or uncooked shellfish. Here are your choices. A, Vibrio cholera. B, Leptospira interrogans. C, Yersinia enterocolitica, D, Campylobacter jejuni. So I would like to go with A, Vibrio cholera. Fantastic. And for a bonus point, do you know what the enterotoxin does? Oh, 
That's not coming to mind. That's at too this crazy time. for me to ask. It permanently activates G5 and increases C amp. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. You have earned enough points for a PathPod Clear Ruler. Tell us, what are you going to do next? I am going to show it off to everyone I know, starting with my daughter. Because <laughs> I've been telling her, mommy's hopefully going to win a ruler today. And she's been praying for me. <laughs> you sure did. Oh, How cute. old is your daughter? She's four. So we're going to fight the rights to the ruler now. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know, I know a person who is responsible for shipping out those rulers. And it's possible that you might get two. Just oh. But <laughs> only because I don't want there to be any fighting in the house. Oh, Everybody thank you so much for that. You're the best. But I'm so happy. Oh, no. Thank you so much. I, I was so nervous before the whole thing, but it worked out so well. Thank you. You did great. You did We're amazing. So you you did amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I was like, I have a bonus tip. So we were talking about, you know, T cells and thymus. How do B cells get the letter B? Why are they considered B cells? So this was something that we actually mentioned in a prior episode of PathPod. So I, you know, I actually didn't look it up, but one of the things that I have done during the pandemic, and I say I, really my husband has done, is we have chickens. And so birds apparently have a special organ called the bursa of fabricus or fabricus, uh. and it is a place for their hematopoietic cells to mature outside of their bone marrow because they have you know, light bones for flying. And we were told by a certain Dr. Nicole Riddle that the bursa of fabricus is the B for which B cells are named. And as a bona fide hematopathologist, Dr. Babu, can you confirm or deny this fact? I shall confirm that. Um, <laughs> it's because the common thinking is, oh, naturally you would think bone marrow, but it's actually, like you said, bursa. Wow. Chicken, chicken bursa. I mean, I have, <laughs> I have two comments. First, <laughs> I don't remember discussing this before. <laughs> Second, I believe- You were there, I, you can I, listen to the episode. <laughs> I believe I might have a bursa of Herbergeticus. Because you're I a bird? Know. I feel like I might have one. I might have one. <laughs> but next- <laughs> so I feel like we need to investigate your bird-like It might be in my great know? toe. If we can it just bring this all back to my great toe. Is there extra medullary hematopoiesis <laughs> maybe, in your great toe? Maybe you'll read about that in the Pathologist oh Magazine gosh, article. I cannot wait. I've never been so excited <laughs> for an article to come out, you know, in print that I didn't It's know. not too late for me to add in the location <laughs> of my bursa. The location of your bursa. See, see, we cover so many different topics, some of which are even slightly germane to pathology on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that was awesome. Congratulations, Saida. And next in line is our resident game. We're going to kick it over to Dr. Shannon May. Tell us about yourself. Welcome. Hi. Super excited and nervous after that impressive showing. Let's see. I grew up in Alaska and then I worked for a couple of years as a clinical laboratory scientist at a hospital there. Decided I wanted to go to med school because I wanted to know more about basically all of the diseases. And I went to med school at University of Virginia and yeah, decided to stay for pathology residency because pathology is the best. Obviously, obviously. So having that experience, did you know you wanted to be a pathologist when you came in? I knew I would like pathology, but I was like trying to keep my mind open to all of the other areas of medicine too. Cause I, you know, I enjoy patient care as well. So, but it's like ah, pathology is just the best. <laughs> it is the best. It's the best. What's your favorite part of being a pathologist? 
that is a hard question. Mm -hmm, Um, There's so many good things, right? (laughs) I know. Probably my favorite thing is, I guess that moment when you're like, oh, I'm the first one to have the answer to this. I mean, there's lots of people who are suspecting this is what's going on, but you put down that slide and you're like, oh, well, okay. So first year resident, I don't get that very often. (laughs) But when I get that moment, I'm like, hey, I know what this is. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a, it's a cool moment. Yeah. And it's a cool moment too, when you're able to, you know, tell them they're wrong or, you know, that their impressions are wrong to be able to give good news when they were expecting bad news. I love benign diagnoses. (laughs) Benign. That's my favorite is benign and Aunt Minnie, like pleomorphic adenoma, I always say is one of my favorite diagnoses because it's beautiful. It's straightforward for the most part. And it's benign. I had a great diagnosis recently. I mean, that was just such good news. The patient had a history of a malignancy and then had this new mass in the mesentery that they thought was recurrent. It turned out to be fibromatosis. Mm. Way great news. It was like, yeah, we get to give you this great news. It's not metastatic cancer. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to be able to have the good news. And so I know you're a first year. Do you have any inklings of what future plans might be for you? I really, I don't know. Our first year is pretty AP heavy, but I really enjoyed cytology when mm, Cido yes, and breast yes. pathology. So yeah, we'll see. Nice. <laughs> well, Cido, you know, is it's amazing. I'm very slightly biased, but we do get to do a lot of cool things in Cido. And I think that Cido is one of those things where whatever you end up doing, whether it's heme path or GI pathology, building those cytologic diagnostic skills is important. So yeah, wonderful. And what is your best piece of advice? I guess the thing that I've been telling myself for the last year is that we're all human. It's okay. Oh, that's good. That is good good. advice. That is good advice. Especially because in medicine, right, we're all expected to be perfect 100% of the time. And obviously, we strive our best to be right as much Mm -hmm. as we can be. But yeah, being human and kind of having that humility is very, very important in pathology. So, all right. That's beautiful. All right. Ready to play? Yeah, let's go for it. (laughs) And let's remember you are playing for the coveted PathPod Clear Ruler so you can be the envy of your friends and And enemies. And enemies. We always like to throw that in there. Though, honestly, I feel like most of us in pathology, we don't really have a lot of like enemies or nemeses. We're all pretty good along. So, all right. So for this game, I have called this game Rehetti or Not and... Since it is a new year, I thought I would turn over a new leaf and give my terrible puns and our contestant and our listeners a little bit of a break from the punning. We will see how long this lasts, but given (laughs) given that our last show led to one of our friends calling me an energy vampire (laughs) on Twitter, I figured I would would just, you know, let me tone it down a little bit. So for this game, all the answers are going to contain the letters R-H in that order and not necessarily at the beginning of the word. So okay. I'll give you an example. For instance, if I asked you, what is the medical term for a runny nose? You would answer rhinorrhea, which has an R-H at the beginning and in the middle. Ooh. So makes sense. I like it. Clear as mud, right? Clear as mud. All right. So first question. This disease may develop after improperly treated strep throat or scarlet fever. It's characterized by fever, arthritis, or arthralgias, and symptoms of congestive heart failure, including chest pain, shortness of breath, and a fast heartbeat. 
That'd be rheumatic fever. Yes, nice. you got it. Exactly, exactly. Improperly treated strep. And for the bonus question, do you know what the organisms are that cause strep throat and scarlet fever? Uh, Streptococcus pyogenes. Ooh, dang. Very, I was, wow, yes. I was actually just looking for group A strep. You know, she's um, fancy. So fancy. She oh, they are teaching you well up at UVA. So yeah, group A strep can also cause things like impetigo, ne- necrotizing fasciitis, post-streptococcal glomerulonephritis, and streptococcal toxic shock syndrome. So awesome. You are That's killing true. it. You're killing it. All right. Another question for you. This is the second most commonly reported sexually transmitted infection in the U.S. with more than 500,000 cases reported per year. It can cause cervicitis, urethritis, epididymitis, and pelvic inflammatory disease. I guess that would be gonorrhea. Yes, it is. It is. I should have picked questions where I didn't have to say so many itises because it's hard to pronounce all of them (laughs) in rapid succession. And for a bonus point, what is the most commonly reported sexually transmitted infection in the US? I presume chlamydia? Yes, you got it. Oh my gosh, you are doing so great at this game. Yes. In 2018, there were, oh, does anyone have a guess as to how many cases of chlamydia there were reported in the US in 2018? So we know that there were 500,000 cases of gonorrhea. So we know chlamydia is the number one. 750,000. That's a good guess. Anyone else? A million? We got a million. million. Anyone else? Anyone else? We can do this Price is Right style, like, you know, closest without going over. Yeah. Uh, $1. One case. Yeah. I'm going to do a million and one. A million and oh. one. Oh, yeah. You are that person <laughs> on the prices. Right. does have enemies. That's right. <laughs> you just made another one, Dr. Collecting a candy. man. Man. So you guys were all good, but actually 1.8 million. 1.8 million cases. So gonorrhea is not even close, which... I thought it was very interesting. All right, Shannon, you're doing great. Third question. This zygomycete normally lives on dead and decaying plant material, but is known to cause disease in humans, particularly in immunocompromised patients. And one of the most feared manifestations, which I see in my practice as um, an ENT pathologist, is invasive fungal sinusitis. Do you know the organism? I'm totally going to butcher the pronunciation. It's like it's rhizo something. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's rhizopus. Rhizopus. Yes. One of those things that I always teach my residents is there's different flavors of disease that fungus can cause in the sinuses. So you've got like allergic fungal sinusitis. You've got fungus ball. Mycetoma is the fancy name for that. And then you've got the really bad one that we get called late night for frozens, which is those invasive fungal sinusitis cases, which can be really devastating. So, all right. You are doing great. You're doing great. You are Three for three plus some bonus points. This is question four. This is the term for the late stage of fibrosis of the liver and can be caused by many forms of liver diseases and conditions such as various types of hepatitis. Uh, Cirrhosis. You got it. Yay. And I am not a liver pathologist, so I don't have any bonus points. But if our GI pathologist has any pearls of wisdom for cirrhosis. I would just like to say something. Yes. I'm in my dream job because I don't have to sign out liver anymore. (laughs) All right. Hello, hallelujah. (laughs) I bet Saida might have some good tips for us, though, for our med student listeners. 
for cirrhosis, I mean, we normally kind of have classes on the causes of cirrhosis that we kind of talk about with uh, hepatitis being in there. Not anything with RH that I can think of. Oh, that's true. Okay. <laughs> that's cool. So in patients with cirrhosis, there's an RH in, in one of the places where they can get variceal vessels. There's Hemorrhoid? four locations. Ah, hemorrhoids. Yes. So where are the other four locations of the varices, Mike? So you can get periumbilical, which is caput medusa. You can get retroperitoneal, and you can get esophageal. Yeah. The pictures they always show in in quiz books, that one really stands up, the periumbilical ones. Cool. Love it. Love it. So much extra knowledge you're dropping on us. All right. So this is your last question. You are on a roll, Dr. May. This is one of the most common primary cardiac tumors in children and usually occurs in patients less than a year old. These tumors can cause outflow obstruction, arrhythmias, and thromboembolic disease. Microscopically, the classic cell you will see is the spider cell. Do you know what tumor this is? Rhabdomyosarcoma? Oh, very close. Yes, go The ahead. benign version of that? <laughs> yes, yeah. which would be called? Yeah, we would like be the benign diagnosis. The rhabdomyoma, exactly. Nice. Yes, yes, yes. We're, we've had a little something for everyone, including our pediatric pathologist. And I do have a bonus question for this one. What genetic syndrome is associated with rhabdomyoma? Oh, I do not know that one. Do you want to phone a friend? Well, I believe there's a Dr. Mike Arnold who is a pediatric pathologist. <laughs> should be tuber sclerosis. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So tubers, tuber, see, again, I wrote these questions poorly because I cannot pronounce any aspects of these questions. But yeah, tuber sclerosis is associated with half of cardiac rhabdomyoma mm-hmm. cases. Dr. Arnold will correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not a pediatric or a cardiac pathologist. And tuber sclerosis is caused by a mutation in either the TSC1 or TSC2 gene and is characterized by cardiac, cutaneous, and renal findings. So excellent. And Yay. Dr. May, you have done such a wonderful job. You've gotten literally every single question right and that means you two are going to be the recipient of a prize path pod clear ruler congratulations how do you feel so good (laughs) you should feel good they're doing an awesome job teaching you up at uva as i knew they would be and you are well on your way to being an amazing pathologist thanks for being on our show today thank you for having me All right. Well, next it's time for the Bluff the Guest game. (laughs) All right, Dr. Babu, tell us about yourself. All right. So I'm at University of New Mexico. I grew up in Texas, as you might know. I did all my schooling in Texas, and I was um, in med school in Dallas. And at the time when I entered med school, I didn't really know much about what pathology was. My thinking was I was going to be an oncologist. I wanted to treat patients with cancer. But I guess, you know, as what happens to a lot of people who go into pathology during second year, I really liked the pathology modules that were taught during our systems-based courses. And, you know, the pathologists were very engaging. I liked the material a lot. It kind of fell into my line of thinking. And, And then it so happened when I was scheduling my third year clinical rotations, I had this hole in my schedule. And I think somebody at a prior podcast said the same thing where I had to schedule an elective because I couldn't schedule anything there. And the only thing available for me was pathology. And I thought, you know, if I do, I, there was a heme path elective that was available. So I thought, why not do it? If, if I want to go into path, this is perfect. If I want to do heme walk, this is also perfect. So early in my third year, I did a heme path elective. I absolutely fell in love with the specialty. I thought it was so fascinating. It was so intellectually satisfying. And, you know, the types of things you can do in pathology were so diverse as well, which I really appreciate. You could be 
a CP person, AP person, web management, whatever. And the thing I liked the most about it were, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, was the people. And it reminds me of this, you know, I don't know if everyone saw the Twitter video that the eye doctor posted a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, Dr. Glaucom Fleckin. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, it reminded me, it was almost exactly like that. You know, if I wanted to go into a, you know, pathologist's office and learn about the bursa of Fabricius, it would be so welcoming. Here, have some cocoa. We're going to cancel grand rounds, you know. So I really liked the people in pathology as well. And, and the residents at the time were very you know, supportive. They love their specialty. And, they, you know, I had a early, pretty good early influence and someone uh, named, I think her name was Christina A or C. Arnold, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. Something um, like that. So yeah, Christina was a resident when I was a med student. She was very supportive. They were very, very, I'm not surprised at all, like to see how far you've come, Christina. Mike, you've had an influence too, in some way, I imagine. <laughs> but What do you remember about that first rotation? I'm curious. Wow. Um, I remember, so I was on a heme path rotation. I was basically looking at peripheral smears all the time. And I remember either first or second day, one of the first year residents was the only person to pick out like a Borrelia on a peripheral smear. Mm. Wow. And, which was wild because the entire ID team descended upon the room. It was pretty cool. And it's the only time I've ever seen one of those. Now, obviously, I didn't know a whole lot about, you know, histology, but I, I thought that, you know, looking at purple smears, looking at bone, there's a lot of medical knowledge I can incorporate mm -hmm. into that subdiscipline. A lot of it was just trying to get used to um, what pathology was. And I, I love learning about the blood. I, I had a really good immunology course my second year, which kind of got me thinking about hematopoiesis and things about the blood. But it got me, I got really interested in other areas of pathology as well. So later on, I had done like, I think I did a pediatric path rotation, a surge path rotation as well. I think, Mike, I probably spent a day or two with you. You probably don't remember that. <laughs> oh, that's oh, yeah. cool. Do you remember what rotation you were on, you and I were on together? Were we on a rotation? I think you were chief one year, right? Yeah, and I think you would pass through. I it think felt like five years. Through. It was like yeah. the longest year. Yeah, there's so many crises yeah. that happened that year. This is like this is like, <laughs> like 12, every chief year. Ago. Oh my god. Yeah. But yeah, but I, I think I, anytime I cross paths, you're very very supportive and offered a lot of good advice, especially when it came to interviewing. So I really appreciated that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we I feel had like so you were, much fun. I feel like Daniel was at Children's at the same time as I was for some really interesting case. Were you there for the pachydermal dactyly? No, I, just I did wanna... not see that. So when you were a kid, what did you envision yourself doing? As a kid? Well, I think going into college, I thought no matter what I went into, I wanted to be a teacher of some sort. I wanted to teach. I didn't really have medicine in mind necessarily going into college or going into my studies. I thought initially I'd, I'd get a PhD in chemistry. That's what I wanted to do originally. I, I wanted to teach college and be a professor. Not the most exciting answer, but but then I think I got the medicine book kind of late in college and it took a few years to kind of decide on that. And I think I had actually taken the MCAT during college to become an MCAT tutor, not to actually go into med school. <laughs> wow. Um, fascinating. And it actually worked out well for me. But yeah, so that's probably what I would have done if I hadn't gone into medicine. I probably would have been um, a like a college professor. I think the cool job potentially would have been, I've always wondered if I could be a voice actor on an animated show. And it's kind of weird because I think I'd like to do something that's really famous and well-known, but not have to deal with the hassles of being publicly recognized. <laughs> like if awesome. I voiced Homer Simpson, for instance, I think that'd be really cool. Something Give like, us an something impersonation. Like that. So that's the thing. I'm not, I, I can't do impersonations. I will not do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's embarrassing. You know, you know, it's kind of, I, I like that 
to to get on your thread though of your goal of being really famous but not like recognized in the street it's kind of like pathology famous you know we always talked about like pathology famous like Juan Rosa who in pathology does not know who Juan Rosa was you know thank you rest in peace and but who outside of pathology has any idea who who he you know is right so it's very in line with you know I love it maybe we can still be famous yes and after this podcast you certainly will be oh yeah you'll be surprised (laughs) yes life will never be the same (laughs) oh my gosh what's your best piece of advice for us i would say never be afraid to admit that you don't know something Uh, i think people can really get into trouble when they're not willing to just simply admit that it's not a it's not a failing if you don't know something but it's actually a positive thing i look for yeah such great advice because if you don't know what you're looking for, it's really hard to find the diagnosis sometimes. Yeah. And so just being humble to ask, to know when to send a case out, since when to say, I don't know, can be the best answer if you really don't know, because you don't yeah. want you, you don't want to hurt anyone. And it's overconfidence amazing. can get really get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, That's such important so advice, good. especially for our listeners out there who are still maybe in training, is that idea, like in training, you're like, oh, I always want to have the right answer for my attending. Yeah. But that training yourself to know when you need help is actually, yeah. I think, a really, really important skill because you're going to need help as a practicing pathologist. You know, we all show cases all the time and presumably y'all do too. And the the idea that you can do it all by yourself and you never have to ask for help, that's, I think, incredibly yeah. dangerous when you're out there in real life. And I think being able to say, crafting for a report, even saying, I don't know, in an eloquent way, like there's no fault. Learning how to say it in an intelligent way is is an art. And it's such an important one because you have to draw on that every once in a while. And that's the greatest thing about pathology. Sometimes things haven't been described yet. Like I feel like it's this wild west where you can have the potential. I've had like so many of my papers are discoveries because something, a new drug gets invented. It's like, we get to discover things. That's the best part of our field. I think internal medicine, they're discovering things too, but it's not quite at the same rate that we can in pathology because this art of reading a slide is one very few doctors have. So exciting, I love our field. Okay, Dr. Babu, Dan. Yes. It is now time for two truths and a lie. Are you Ooh, ready? I am always ready. Sayeda, really, you're yes. up. Okay, so three facts about myself. So the first one is that I love heights and I've walked on the edge of CN Tower in Canada at 1100 feet. So that's the first fact. Uh, The second fact is that I love baking and I have baked a microscope cake in a baking competition and I secured first prize. And the third fact is that I initially considered law as a career. I started studying law before I got into medical school and then I transitioned. Wow, those are good facts. And you know, I think you have the right balance of not putting too many details and not putting anything too crazy in there. So all of these are, I think, equally believable. So law is career, love baking, and you love heights. I feel like somebody who says they love heights it's probably joshing me. <laughs> Does anyone like really love heights? Like I know it's people interesting. tolerate heights and don't mind yeah. heights. Yeah. Is that something people I like love it. of? I'm a little suspicioid of that statement. So I'm going to go. Suspicioid. I might go with, I might go with your love of heights. I'm going to, that's going to be my answer. I think that's the lie. Well, the first thing, actually, I, I actually am one of the oddballs who does love heights. Oh. <laughs> 
Wow. And uh, kind of like a thrill seeker. I did get a chance to do this. They have this edge walk around the CN Tower in which they I've kind of... I've seen that on videos. It looks terrifying. <laughs> it looks terrifying when you kind of see it, uh, the people seeing what they see. But when you're in that experience, honestly, I felt like it, it was like something that I always treasure. I'm looking forward to it being opening again after COVID. And I would love to go there again. Oh that sounds kind of awesome. So brave. Like, wow. So brave. Love so that was the first thing that was that was correct. Okay. I mean, that was the truth. Uh, the second thing was actually the light. I mean, I love baking, but I have yet to bake a microscope cake. It's hard to kind of get those details, the, the curvatures and everything on a cake. <laughs> I really hope I get that. And I That's really awesome. hope I win like a competition or something with that. You've got to send us a picture of it if you ever do make it. Yeah, absolutely. I have I, faith in you. I have faith in you. <laughs> Thank it. you so much. I definitely will great. send a picture. <laughs> will you stop me? Good. Wow. Fantastic. I loved it. All right, Shannon, you're up. All righty. So mine are all transportation related because uh -huh. I haven't been able to travel. So we're going in chronological order. So in high school, when I was first learning how to drive, my parents' driveway was on like a little bit of a slope and, you know, I grew up in Alaska. So first time winter driving, I was turning into the driveway, totally missed the driveway, slid right into the ditch and hit a tree. Thanks. So next story was when we were coming down to Virginia for medical school, we took the ferry down from Alaska to Washington, and we ended up getting stranded in a little tiny fishing town for three days because one of the engines exploded on the ferry. And then the other one was I was, this is while I was in med school, we had a fall break and I was over uh, driving up to visit my grandmother and I had a rental car and I was driving along I-15 and I hit a pothole and blew out the tire in the <gasps> rental car. Oh my God. And got stuck for like six hours <laughs> trying to figure that out. Okay. So I'm like, I love wow. that your questions about transportation are all making all of us feel better that you're, you're not traveling more because it seems safer. For yeah. Maybe. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so three twins. So you're driving this up and missing the driveway the ferry and getting stranded in a fishing town and you know tire blowing out on your rental car okay i felt that when you talked about the whole driveway incident like your voice it sounded like there you there was shame and embarrassment <laughs> so i feel like that's true <laughs> uh, so wow the other two are so i feel like the second one is specific but not like crazy specific to the point where it's unbelievable I might have to go with your story about being on fall break and hitting a pothole. That, that's the lie. <laughs> so that one was actually true. No! Good. You're so good. Mm -hmm. So the first one oh, was... The lie? Was the lie. Oh, the shame my God. You were, you were ashamed because you were lying. Oh, you're oh. such a good person, Shannon. <laughs> oh. It happened to a, a couple of my friends. It was <laughs> kind of a little notorious spot. Well, you got but. me there. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> Having cool. learned to drive somewhere where it snows, <laughs> yes. I totally believe that story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh my gosh. Alaska are you from, Shannon? I'm, I'm from Palmer. It's like an hour north of Anchorage. I think I've seen that on there's a um, Flying Wild Alaska reality show about bush pilots that we used to watch. <laughs> and that's the only context I think in which I've heard of that town. <laughs> that probably would be about the only context <laughs> you would have heard of it. Yep. <laughs> How long is the flight from Virginia to Alaska? You have to make us at least one stop. The quickest way to do it is to fly out of DC and do it. A DC to Seattle is like five uh, hours, and wow. then Seattle to Alaska is like three and a half. That's a long flight. Yeah, it's a, it's a day. 
That's so, your story about the pothole, why that cracked me up. Mike, do you remember my story? We had just cut back from a long trip. The van was full of stuff and kids and everyone's tired and we parked my car at my work. So he was just dropping me off to get my car so I could drive home. And yeah, Mike's laughing. Mike, get yourself off mute. So yeah, I remember now. I know. So he lets me out. I go upstairs. I get the car. I take it out. And as I take it out, I hit the curb like a maniac. I took the curb <laughs> out. I get in the car. Immediately does this. Goes. <laughs> and so he's just like, pull that car over. So I literally like drove the car half a block, you know, in the parking lot, just to, enough to kill the tire to pull it over. So now he's got a car full of kids and all this stuff. And now, and he's fixing this tire. He's just like, go to work, get out of here. And that was like, I was like, this is so like the story of our marriage. I just, he's the fixer and it's amazing. It's always at the end of the long trips. You know, yeah. you're so tired. You just want to get home. And there's like one last thing. Like you come home when the heat's not working or yes. something. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. See all these stories, right? Making us feel good about the fact that we don't get to travel. I love anymore. your stories, Shannon. That was great. Yes, yes, yes. Nice job. Well, Dr. Arnold, what do you think? Did Dr. Babu got, get enough fright to win his own PathPod Clear Ruler? Well, um, I, th I think we should give him one because he really takes us very seriously. I, well, thank you. I liked his diagnostic approach. I, I really did. That he was thinking through the options, weighing the evidence, and yes. making that decision. And was, yet wrong both times. Yeah. <laughs> but I really liked the way he came across. Like he was like sensing out shame and the feelings. I was like, that's and really cool. And he was cool. right. He was just missing yeah. what the shame was about. It was so good. It was so, so good. good. So good. Totally. Dan. That too nice. <laughs> we just have a lot of rulers sitting around, actually. Like my garage, you open the door, just clear rulers just come pouring out. I welcome any and all rulers. <laughs> Yay. Yay. What are you going to measure as a hematopathologist? What should I, I should, I, I do need something to measure our bone marrow biopsies. Okay. Yeah, how about that? That's good. Um, I, what I joked with someone, I don't know who, I think it was Daniel, Daniel Fajardo was on recently. No, it wasn't him. It was somebody else. I was like, stacks of money. That's what you mean. Mm. Roller mm. stacks. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm going to put in some dubiousness since I think we're all in academics. But, you, you know, know, hey, it's all about the side hustle these days, right? It's all mm. about the side hustle. It's all about the side hustle. Yes. Well, congrats, Dan. Yeah. And oh, thank yes, you. Your ruler will be in the mail. Yes. All right. Well, now's the most terrifying part of the hour for me, Christina. It's time for our very special pathologist guest to turn the tables on us and try to stump the chump. And I have to say, as it turns out, I'm very easily stumped by many topics about which I know nothing. Okay. Stump us, Dan. Stump it. Okay. Well, how about I start out with the two truths and a lie? Okay. So three facts. I have no middle name. That's one. I have an intense phobia of fish and underwater creatures. You laugh too hard. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I'm going to lose this game already by being rude to our guests. No, it's fine. My third fact is I have a cat, a British shorthaired cat named Buddha. Ooh. I like all your facts so much. I love cats. 
So the I, I'm sorry I laughed at your your fish and underwater. No, no, no. Creatures. That's because I would laugh actually, at myself. I no, no. I I because I love fish and underwater creatures and I love snorkeling and that's one of the things that I greatly miss about the pandemic. But I do have friends who would never go swimming in a lake because they had a fear of kicking fish, which yes. is is it. I I agree that if you're in water that you can't see through and your feet touch something living mm. that isn't another well, like isn't you, it is, it's a weird sensation. Yeah. So, so, you know, I can see that being real and sorry, the, the laughter about the fish distracted me. What was your first one again? Oh, you don't have a middle name. I believe that. Cause I have no middle name. So gosh. it's interesting. I thought that was interesting that Dan said I would laugh at myself as if he made it up and he would laugh at himself. Cause if mm-hmm. it really was true, he'd say, I laugh at myself. Mm. No, I mean, I really think these are very good. But if I had to pick, I'm going to let the slip go for me personally. I like two, but I could go on any of them. I feel like maybe we're getting caught up in the details and you have a cat or a pet, but it's its name is not Buddha or it's a different breed of cat. Mm -hmm. And because I'm a cat fancier myself, I'm going to go with that one. So tell us, Dan, who's right? Wait, so Christina, Christina, what was your choice? Are we guessing there's one lie? There's uh, one lie here. I'm going to say two. <laughs> what was two? The, <laughs> the, the, the fish. Okay, I don't have my order. Okay, so Sarah is right. So the the cat one is the lie. Mm, um, good job, Sarah. So I don't have a cat at all, actually. Oh, no. <laughs> so it's it's sort so of a, sad. It is, it is sad. It's, so it's a running joke with me and some of the people here, even some of the trainees where, you know, like you, I love cat puns. I love cat jokes. And I talk about it so much that people assume I have a cat. And it just surprises people when I tell them I do not have a cat. And they think I should. So that's, <laughs> you should sorry, have just, a cat. I should have a cat. I you should have a revealed, cat. Cats are how great. Weird I am. Yeah. <laughs> cats are great. See, and you need to. So I think that after this show... In exchange for us sending you a clear ruler, you should get yourself a British short hair cat and name it Buddha. I just just feel like that that seems to fit you so well. I can just I don't know you that well, but well, my one of my really good friends had a had a British short hair named Buddha, Uh, so I was very infatuated. Steal his cat. Steal his cat. I should steal his cat. He moved, but yes, steal it for yourself. Yes. So, so the other things are true. I have no middle name, like Sarah. I do have an intense phobia of fish. And yes, I would laugh at myself for saying that. I used to be okay with it. And I think I had a, a whole horrible nightmare once where I was swallowed up by like a ferocious fish or something. And ever since then, I cannot, I cannot stand underwater creatures. When I was living in Baltimore, sort of as for immersion therapy, I actually went to the National Aquarium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been there. And, lots of fish, lots of fish. And I just decided I'm just going to walk in and deal with it. And it actually turned out okay, but it was it was still, I think my stress levels were slowly, slowly, steadily rising. But That's, uh, that's awesome. Wow. So do you eat fish? No, I don't. No? Oh, no, I, I don't even try to eat anything. Yeah, it extends to eating as well, even though they're dead. So, <laughs> And therefore, hopefully not going to... Yeah. yeah, interesting, interesting. And I do apologize for laughing. No, 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 I was, I'm glad that somebody laughed at it. All right. Very interesting. What yes. was your other one, Dan? <laughs> My, oh, no, it was... Didn't you have another story? No, it was it was another set of two truths and a lie, and I can't remember what the other one was. Oh, it was going to be a story about how Diane Sawyer once, like, nearly broke my thumb, but that's okay. Oh. Wait, I, is that, was that going to be a lie? Or that was a truth. Because... Now you've given away, but we still want to hear the story. Yeah, tell us the story. Oh, it's kind of cheesy. Uh, so I think I was in college, 
And Good Morning America, which I think she was a co-host on back then, way, way back then, they were hosting it on my campus. And, you know, I asked for fun. I decided to go out in the crowd and she came by our line and we were high-fiving and she she got very excited. And she grabbed my hand and she said, she said something like Texas, something, whatever. And then she yanked on my thumb and I felt this like pop and I didn't know if it broke or what, but like, yeah, I, and then I just kind of walked away and then I realized it's kind of sore. It's kind of swollen. And then I decided I was kind of proud of it because Diane Silver did that to me, whatever. <laughs> wow. Um, wow. Wow. I love suit it. Diane yes. <laughs> yeah, I should. I should, but I'm too nice. I oh, do that. So, so where did you go to college? So I went to college. So like I said, I'm from Texas. I went to college at University of Texas in Austin, like you know, a lot of people do when you're in Texas. Mm -hmm. I majored in chemistry and eventually I went to medical school at UT Southwestern where you did, where I met you. And like, I love Texas. I met, you know, I wouldn't miss Texas. I decided to go somewhere else for residency. That's why I went to Cleveland Clinic for a residency. And then I guess I'll go through my career trajectory here, but I loved my experience there. I confirmed what a heme nerd I was. And so I did a heme path fellowship mm -hmm. down where I am now at UNM, in Albuquerque. And, you know, during that time I was, I wasn't really set on academics. I thought, oh, I'm going to do private practice. And that's what I ended up doing for three years after fellowship. I was in doing heme path and general APCP. And I loved my life. Uh, I was on the East coast with the private practice group. It was a great, great experience. And I would have been happy, perfectly happy if I'd stayed there, if I'd been a lifer there, whatever. But this interesting opportunity arose for me at UNM to potentially come back as faculty. There were some interesting opportunities in the mix. And then when you're making that decision to transition from, you know, prior practice to academics or vice versa, you really have to juggle, you know, the pros and cons, what you're giving up and what you're gaining. So obviously, you know, going from private practice to academics, you know, if there's vacation, there's some salary that you're missing out on. However, I thought in terms of, you know, long-term satisfaction, being able to see more acute cases, working with like you know, very accomplished colleagues who do the same thing you do. And most of all, getting to train residents and fellows, that was what really appealed to me. And plus, I loved Albuquerque. I missed being there. Shout out to UNM and Albuquerque, by the way. And loved the fact that it was much more easy to buy a house in Albuquerque and in New Mexico. And I thought that was a place that I could just settle and be happy. And I've not regret. I've been here for uh, about two and a half years now. So yeah. That's wonderful. I love that. Great, great experience. No regrets. I hear from people who are concerned that if they go to the private, they can never go back to academics. So what do you say about that since you've been able to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think you can, my trajectory is a little different, but you know, even if you're in private practice, you can still stay in touch with the, the academic and professional communities. Uh, I know plenty of people who are still involved with national organizations, still publish, who at least, you know, keep up their interests. And, you know, one thing when I was in private practice, you know, the one thing that's great about Twitter you know, you sort of stay in touch with people. You, you kind of maintain your professional network. You learn a lot about things. You get to meet people, essentially. And I, I think there's so many ways to keep connected. And I don't think you necessarily close any doors for yourself if you're Beautiful. in a certain private practice, community practice, or vice versa. I think that's such an important point because I see a lot of residents who are getting ready to do a job or fellows, and they have a real decision paralysis because they think, oh, if I take this private job, I'll never get back into academics. And I love that comment that, of course you can. Of course you can make your future what you want it to be. And that from my experience, what I see people who are in private practice, they see amazing cases. And to get someone who's interested in going into academics with that exposure of high volume, high complexity, quick turnaround, I mean, that's such an asset for academics to yeah. bring that knowledge with them. So I love it. Good people who work hard, they can make their future happen. 
go into private if you want to. If you at some point decide you want to do academics, that door is always available. That's cool. Yeah, I love both. Yeah, we've had that experience too, where we've had faculty members come back and be really successful academicians after being in Mm -hmm. private practice for a while. And I think that, that speaking to staying connected, keeping your network, not burning bridges and staying in touch with people is really important, right? Because it yeah. is, it's a small field and you know we're all in it together, whether we're academic or private. And so we kind of all know each other. Right. And now we all know each other more through social media than in-person meetings since we can't do any for the yeah. foreseeable future. But yeah, it's funny because I, I joined Twitter just to sort of maintain my professional, just because I felt like it was a little isolating going from, you know, academic training and residency and fellowship than going into a community practice community hospital. So it's nice to sort of maintain those contacts. And it turned out to be a real advantage for me when I transitioned back into academics. So mm. Twitter, I'm telling you guys, is such a game changer. Who would have thought like our phone would be like a, a legit part of our career, whether you're academics, private, community, such a great way to get things done, connect with people, share, enjoy cases. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think for extroverts like me, it's been a lifeline during the pandemic to be able to still Mm -hmm. see people and do this Mm -hmm. podcast and see people on Twitter and talk and network. And yeah, it's not as much fun because we can't go out to dinner together, but at least you can still maintain that Mm -hmm. network and education and just interacting with people, which is such a big part of what makes my job satisfying. True. All right. I did have another quiz question. Lay it on. Let's do it. All right. So it's February 2nd. It's uh, Groundhog Day, <gasps> right? It is. Apparently, right. apparently the groundhog saw its shadow. So we are in for like six more weeks of oh, winter. Great. So, you know, <laughs> and when I, I actually watched it live and I thought it was hysterical. One, one aspect of the announcement. So do either of you know what, I'll give you some choice, but do either of you know what the groundhog's real name, real and full name is? Oh, mm-hmm. Phil. It's Pazzatani. It's Pazzatani. Right. So there's four choices I'm going to give you, and okay. it's actually. Oh, there's uh, more. Yeah. So, it's just, it, yeah. so answer choice A: Pazzatani Phil. B, and this is long: Pazzatani Phil, weather wizard, diviner of climate conditions, and master of prognostication. Wow. <laughs> I love it. C, Philip of Pazzatani, predictor par excellence and prophet for the people. <laughs> I love all of these. So or much. D, Punxsutawney Phil, seer of seers, sage of sages, prognosticator of prognosticators, and weather prophet extraordinary. I just mm. want to say this: you must have made up a couple of these. I think you made up at least two I, of I, them. I must have. I must. I have mean, that's impressive. I'm going true. with D. But but wait 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 no no, no I, I'm not ready to make a decision yet because I need to have more information. Who gives the groundhog its name? Like, where is this name coming from? Is it his parents? Is it, you know, Twitter? Who Who's coming up with this name? Because those are too long for Twitter, honestly. But Yeah, apparently some newspaper decades. Mm-hmm. I think, no, I think he got his name in like 1961. He was apparently named after King Philip or something like that. Not that that helps much. Fascinating. They're all Phil. Well, they're all Phil. But I mean, they were, they were, I mean, actually those doesn't help at all because I... They're all they're all quite. Yeah, but Punxsutawney Phil is not the only. It's not the full name. So yeah. Oh gosh, I like the one with all the P's. I like the alliteration. Um, I'm gonna go predictor predictor par excellence and profit for the people. Actually, you know, I bet you came up with that, but it's good, so I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna go with it. It's you know, since you said that you like puns, I'm gonna guess that you came up with that, but I'm gonna reward it by saying that that's the right answer. All right, Christina. That's the one I went with. Okay, so it's actually 
So no, it's not that one. I actually did not come up with those. I actually looked it off the internet because there's no way I could have come up with that on my own uh, today, at least. Oh, disappointed. Um, so the the one the right answer is the longest one. So it's Punxsutawney Phil, Seer of Seers, Sage of Sages, Prognosticator of Prognosticators. I that's the one I picked. And what I think initially you were picking that, Weather Prophet Extraordinary. <laughs> I uh, stand by that one. You were. I think you were about to pick that initially. Um, and then I distracted you with the one with no. the only peas. Oh, maybe you did pick that. For I, I did pick it. I did okay, pick did. it. And then Sarah said, I want to talk about this more. And then she Okay. I'm taking Arnold. I thought that was appropriate given the day. And wow. We're going to see six more weeks. Wow. It's beautiful. I love it. a lot it. of names. There's a lot yeah. of names. Thank Dan, you. Do you feel jealous that he has so many names and you don't even have a middle name? Because I, I have feel a little jealous. And I, I, feel, I don't have a middle name. I feel kind of jealous. Maybe we, we should, support group. We need a support we need group. A, no, I think we should just come up with extremely long and exceptionally unwieldy names for ourselves. This is a very long and storied mythology tradition coming up with names that are extremely long and difficult. This is true. We, we, so, we need our own groundhog for I our I think we should do it. We should do, do it. it. Yeah, do it. Do it. <laughs> Prognosticator par excellence. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you for bringing those awesome facts and stories. That was that was really fun. That was really yeah, and fun. slightly embarrassing, but yeah. <laughs> if it's not a little embarrassing, I feel like we really haven't had a successful yeah. quiz show. Usually, I feel like Christina and I are the ones getting embarrassed. So, thank you for taking on some of that right, burden for us. All right. Well, and that basically brings us to the end of the quiz show. Thank you, everybody, for being here. It has been such a pleasure to talk with all of you. And thank you so much for sharing your stories and your brilliance. Mythology is definitely a better place because all of y'all are in it. So, yeah, with that, I hope everyone has a wonderful week. Good luck with the vaccines, those of you who are getting them. Fingers crossed. And uh, yeah, take care. Stay safe out there, everybody. Bye, y'all. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me. Good luck, Sada. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Support for the Free PathPod podcast comes from listeners who like it and share it with their friends. So go ahead, send someone the link. And be sure to subscribe to PathPod wherever you download your podcasts. PathPod is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not medical advice. As always on the podcast, any views expressed are solely those of the person speaking and do not necessarily represent their employers, their affiliated institutions, affiliated professional organizations, other speakers on the program, their friends, their families, their pets, or anyone involved in the production and distribution of this podcast. Thanks for listening to PathPod. Uh-huh.